This is the Bartholomew Town Podcast. Hey folks, welcome into another edition of the Bartholomew Town Podcast. It's Bill Bartholomew here with you as I am every Tuesday and Friday. And of course, nearly 300 episodes in the back catalog wherever you like to listen, whether that's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or our own ripodcast.com. Okay, Today we have a pretty darn Rhode Island story for you, and that is of the Knock It Off t-shirt, the origins of it, and now the documentary about that campaign, so to speak. And we're joined by the creator of that t-shirt and that campaign and the man who delivered many of those t-shirts by bicycle with a bullhorn in his hand, Frog and Toad's Asher Schofield, as well as the documentarian who's made the film on that campaign, Mike Bell. And you think back to... I mean, I don't even remember when it was specifically. It was sometime fairly early in the pandemic, and I was at every one of these briefings with Governor Raimondo and the health department. I'm sitting there time and time again, and there was a point where, look, regardless of your political take or whatever on the pandemic, there was a point where everybody had no idea what was going on, and it was scary. And if you can't admit that, then I think you're lying. And right there at the beginning of the pandemic, people were by and large complying with the notion of the stay-at-home order, right? But there were people who were still having parties. There were still, you know, I saw organized softball taking place right in the thick of when we had no idea what was happening, how we were going to manage the hospital infrastructure system in our state, and no idea exactly how long this was going to go on for. And it seemed like our best option in that moment from a Unitarian standpoint was to just sort of stay home and play low-key until we had a better grip on things. Again, this is within the first weeks of the pandemic reaching Rhode Island. And of course, people weren't entirely complying with that. And then Governor Raimondo uttered the now famous phrase, knock it off, uh, directing that at anybody who was still having parties or whatever you were doing. That translated into the Frog and Toad t-shirt that became a fundraiser for nonprofits here in the state that were helping people get through the pandemic, helping to provide for that infrastructure. And that in turn became the documentary that Mike Bell created and we are going to discuss today here on the show. So uniquely Rhode Island, um, I think it's one of those moments in the pandemic, both Raimondo's comment as well as, of course, the, the shirt itself and Asher riding around in his bicycle, yelling into a bullhorn, delivering these packages that provided entertainment, provided hyper-local content. Both of those aspects of it will go down as poignant moments when we reflect on COVID-19 here in Rhode Island um, over the next year, decade, whatever. I bet if someone were going to make that book, you know, that thick, glossy book of photos and key moments, both the statement itself and the ensuing um, campaign that Frog and Toad created would be in there. So here we are. We've got the documentary, which you can find on YouTube, or you'll hear the other locations where you can find it in the episode. And um, powerful stuff, man, right? You know, people just independently creating things that move hearts and minds. And that happens so often, uh, but not often enough. And it doesn't always happen with the execution and vision that took place in this. And what seems like kind of a benign, potentially something that could be overlooked um, campaign that I think turned into a rallying cry for so many of us here, uh, or at least something to laugh at and look forward to, and a way to support, tangibly support the people on the ground at the beginning of the pandemic, trying to get us through this thing, trying to navigate the uncertainty, trying to gain an understanding of how we were going to form some kind of rational, um, balanced, and effective approach 
to dealing with this now, let's hope, on the downslope um, moment in our history. So a fun episode there. By the way, if you want to support B-Town, the Bartholomew Town podcast, Rhode Island's podcast of record, well, there's a few ways you can do so. One, share this episode, just tell people about it, pop it on social media, whatever you do. Number two, you may become a B-Town insider. You can do that by going to patreon.com slash bartholomewtown, where for as little as $3 per month, you may become someone who is helping to support the bedrock of this program. I literally use that money to pay for the hosting, to pay for the live streaming stuff, um, the, the Zoom HD so we can record the episodes remotely. For $10 per month, you'll become a B-Town Insider receiving exclusive monthly content. That's patreon.com slash Town. All right, with that, let's get to today's conversation. Knock it off. I'm Asher Schofield, and uh, for 20 years, I've co-owned and operated a store in Providence called Frog and Toad. And... Um, we just we do a lot of our own design and production. Uh, we make uh, greeting cards and T-shirts and all kinds of silly things. And um, while uh, the this whole movie wasn't about me, I, I you know do find that I was pretty much like a like a, a center point for it. Um, so uh, yeah, it was definitely strange to see myself uh captured in that way i think you know probably a lot of people feel freaked out by seeing you know themselves making an appearance like that and i i was cringing a little bit the first time i i saw it all yeah naturally (laughs) um well my name is mike bell and i uh i own a small production studio in providence uh, called mb studio and we mostly deal with uh we do a lot of corporate work uh, video work um for uh, promotion, education, uh, our clients range all over the place from small businesses to nonprofits to big corporations. Uh, I also work with my wife, who's a graphic designer and an illustrator. And so she handles the design and illustration side of what we do, as well as some art direction. And um, yeah, so I had reached out to Asher to, uh, once I saw all of this, the knock it off stuff unfolding about wanting to tell the story of what the knock it off campaign was all about and how it got started and put a little of a spotlight onto the good work that was being done. Yeah. And of course, so this is a, uh, basically a doc on that, that you created and kind of working our way back to, I don't remember exactly when it was, I was there when this happened, the governor was describing people who were frankly not taking the pandemic seriously. They were still having parties, they were doing whatever they wanted. And th- you would see it all over the place. I, I know some talk radio pundit called me Karen town for, you know, kind of referencing this on my show at one point. But the reality is that people were still, even after it was clear that this was a very serious situation, there, there were, there were some people that were still doing whatever they wanted. Um, and, you know, sort of affecting the Unitarian scheme of things here in Rhode Island and beyond. And at one point, governor Raimondo, then governor Raimondo, you know, gave this iconic, um, or I guess let out this iconic line, knock it off. And shortly thereafter, we started to see the knock it off t-shirts appear um, out of basically emerging from Frog and Toad. Asher, you were delivering them on bicycles and these dramatic videotaped experiences, you know, but but it was this really interesting and sort of um, important moment in the pandemic because a lot of people were 
tuning in to what you were doing and maybe more so than even some of the official messaging. So from there, it kind of continued. And now it's an iconic shirt here in Rhode Island. And as Governor Raimondo has gone on to the Biden administration, that slogan in that time period stays in place. Well, when when Mike reached out about wanting to make this film, I, I thought it was a super good idea for a number of reasons. One is I think we all felt like we were palpably living history in that moment. Yeah. When she said those words in that time, we were all under this stay at home order and it was unprecedented. It was scary. Um, and I think we all knew that for years to come, we'd be dissecting and analyzing all of the events that unfolded. And for me, I thought, even though it was, you know, a smaller picture story in the context of everything that was happening, I really liked the idea of documenting for history what our small story was here in Rhode Island. And it started with her words. And to be honest with you, everything that that happened after that uh, was kind of just falling forward. It was like somebody would would suggest something and I would think, oh, that would be a great idea to, to deliver that with a, with a bullhorn uh, and, and do this, this you know, shout out to people. And, and that led to having people actually film uh, the deliveries themselves, which was this whole interesting, like interactive relationship where I was the actor and the delivery recipient was the, the filmmaker and, and director of these short movies. And then, um, for folks that were were isolated and it felt like we were isolated at home for weeks, it was this poignant, important human experience to be able to have contact with the outside world. And as I started to absorb that, I realized that what this was doing wasn't just about printing and selling shirts to people. It was about connecting folks. And as more and more people started wearing their t-shirts and and sharing that image online, I saw I saw it growing into this movement, and it was it was just wild to be a part of it. It just really was. It really was a crazy moment and an unprecedented moment. I mean, especially when you think about the highway being blockaded and people from New York having to pull off, and the National Guard going door to door. I mean, at one point, I was thinking, how close are we to the point where everyone literally is inside? And the National Guard is going down the street in Humvees, giving out ham sandwiches to everybody because it gets that tight. So it really was extremely anxious. I know I was certainly having mental health um, just in terms of anxiety and trying to manage the day-to-day. I think most people were, if you're being honest about it. Mike, when you started to get the idea for the film, what was it that you were really trying to share about this point in time? Well, when it started... Um Mainly I saw, so I started following, you know, I follow Asher and Frog and Toad and I started seeing all the content that they were putting out in relation to this. And at first it seemed funny, more like the, the humor of the whole thing and the humor of the deliveries. And as it, the project started to grow, I just saw that it was really like Asher, Asher's point that this started to become something that people are really getting behind. And there's started to be a lot of media coverage. And I thought that first I was thinking, oh, it would be good to put a little bit of a spotlight on these small businesses that are being helped and that are helping. And as it started, we started to get into it. Then it was more about, well, 
this is actually who is it helping? It's it's helping the businesses, but it's actually helping all of these sort of unknown people that are being helped by the nonprofits that are receiving money from the COVID fund. Yep. So it became wanting to showcase a little bit of the great work that's being done around the state by all these nonprofits that are struggling as hard, if not harder than um, the businesses that have been affected over the years. So it was really wanting to just get it out there and let people know because we're in a small state and it's one small piece to the puzzle, but it was, I thought, a very important one for our state. Undoubtedly. And the nonprofit sector makes up such a huge component of our employee base here. And it makes up such a, just a piece of the Rhode Island puzzle. I mean, left and right, wherever you look, there's a, a large nonprofit presence here in Rhode Island. I guess that's kind of true everywhere, but it just seems because we're so small, it's so relevant here. All right, folks, this is getting real. The time for talk is over. From iron workers to engineers, business owners to biology teachers, Rhode Islanders believe in the power of offshore wind. Together, we're cleaning the air and creating jobs right here at home. Our goal of 100% renewables by 2030 is in sight, and the future is bright with Rhode Island a real leader in America's emerging offshore wind industry. So what makes you a Revolution Wind believer? Join us at revolution-wind.com slash it's real. That's revolution-wind.com slash it's real. Let's go. Asher, as the summer began last year and things started to seem a little bit more um, optimistic, I guess, and we saw the numbers go down. What did that feel like? Did you feel like that your campaign had anything to do with that? Because I certainly did. Well, I, I, I did not. I, I mean, I, I'm honored that you would associate anything that we did with, you know, positive public health impact. Um, for me, it, you know, I, I thought it was really great that people were co-opting this message and really getting it out there and working as a team and, um, and just seeing the, the bigger picture of community and how we're all interrelated and how our choices all affect one another. That undeniably was part of, I think, what people were getting on board with. Uh, personally, I didn't feel any real responsibility for that. I mean, I'm just a, a person that, um, you know, gift wraps professionally for a living and, uh, you know, prints goofy sayings on T-shirts. So, at, like, when I say that I was literally just falling forward with this project, um, that's, that's really all that I was doing. And, uh, it was, it was happy luck. I think that it may have had the impact that you're, you're talking about. It was certainly not deliberate or anything that I think I was cognitively aware of at that time. Well, we'll see as time moves along. When we look back on it, if the, uh, the trend, the timing, if you will, of the, the awareness of your campaign and, and, and others as well. You know, I think about Ben DeCastro out there. He's a social media guy. He's, he did a lot. There were, a, but I, I feel like the alternative spaces were highly relevant in, and that includes churches, that includes community groups, that includes nonprofits, but they had a big impact in getting things dialed in initially and potentially now as well. Yeah. And I, I think that um, at that time, I think we we're all kind of feeling that that void, uh, I think that entertainment, that communication void, like I was saying about feeling isolated, but I remember people were talking about how, uh, you know, Hollywood wasn't able to, to do any filming on set. And so we were going to be having this big wasteland of content creation uh, coming up. Um, and I think it was just pervasive that we didn't know what was coming the, 
next day. Um, that anxiety was indeed crippling that you speak to. I, I remember waking up every single morning, just feeling this existential dread. Uh, it was almost like arriving at consciousness in the morning included checking off some boxes where it was like, uh, okay, I'm breathing. Okay. My health seems fine. Yes. There's still a pandemic and the world is completely upside down. It was like running through those boxes and it was like, okay, so how do we, how do we go about a normal day? And, um, I think that's what a lot of us have been doing over the past year. It's, and it's, it's crazy. It's historic. And we're just now getting to a point where we can try and frame it. We're getting our shots. We're able to like look at it in context a little bit more than we were. And I think for me, that's why the timing of Mike's release of the documentary is, is good is that it it's helping certainly helped me see this past chapter in a little bit of context now. Mike, to that point, this is a history documentary at the end of the day, I suppose. And it's something that'll be part of the record going forward. What is that like? What is that sort of, uh, there's a responsibility that goes with that. Yeah, there is. Absolutely. Um, you know, I didn't necessarily think of it that way when it started, but, um, you know, the fact that it, we actually wanted to release it or I wanted to release it sooner. Um, but you know, time goes on and, it, the project evolved and got bigger and bigger and incorporated more and more things. So I now can see it as more as a part, like I said, one small piece to this bigger thing. And I hope that there's other people who have documented um, their own struggles or their own experiences for over this last year. Um, but I am very glad and, and hopeful that it will live on. And in five or 10 years, people will reflect back on it and say, Oh yeah, I remember when and I, where I was and, you know, those first couple of weeks, like Asher had said, that that was, uh, I felt, shared those same feelings of of dread. You know, business for me pretty much stopped for the first few weeks, if not first few months. And so this was a very good, it was almost therapy for myself to get back out there and figure out how do you operate in this new world? And that was one of the challenges of the project was trying to um, figure out how do you, like Asher just said about Hollywood, that's a big that's the, some of the world that I work in and there was no business happening. You couldn't interview people live like I normally do. So figuring out how do you do this? Everything had to be done outside. I suppose we were lucky that it was mostly summer and warm weather and people were recept receptive to that. But yeah, I hope that people in the future will be able to watch this again in five or 10 years and, you know, be able to, you know, understand for themselves um, what this is all about if they, you know, if they weren't a part of it. Yeah, you can only watch Tiger King once probably <laughs> before, you know, <laughs> fall off a cliff there. Hyperlocal content exploded, you know, <laughs> this was a part of it, you know, um, we saw huge audience growth here at, on this podcast. And I know, generally speaking, people all of a sudden went, okay, this is where we have to turn because number one, the national stuff did come to a crawl if, if not totally stopped, but then also what's going on here? And in some ways, I guess that's selfish. I mean, we see it now where it's like the global South is still crippled. We see what's going on in India and Brazil. And so, yeah, we're making a turn here in the US, but globally, we still have problems. But at the same time, this is your backyard. So something like the knock it off campaign that directly impacts you if you're a Rhode Islander. And that, that that's a fair, that's okay to, to, to sort of have that, um, localism, tribalism, I guess, because you can only do so much on a grand scheme, but you can do a lot on a local level. Yeah. I think that you're tapping into it 
exactly there, Bill. It's like, we don't want to feel helpless. We want to, we want to have some control and locally you, you have that ability. I mean, we're not going to be able to affect what's happening globally so much as, as regular citizens, but I feel like focusing on local uh, does give you that comfort where, you know, you, you do have, have some say in what can be done. And in a, in times like the past year, that feeling like things are completely out of your control is very disconcerting. You know, when everything about life as you know it is upside down, it's hard to not feel a lot of despair. And I think to your point, that is why a lot of people looked inward and more in their own zip code about how they can uh, better affect change. Yeah. I agree with that. I think that that was one aspect that really intrigued me was the local, the people looking out for each other locally, like, like I've never seen before, you know, people just being concerned about each other, even from like reaching out to people that you hadn't talked to in a while, just to make sure everyone's okay. And making sure that, you know, you can't stop the whole pandemic, but you can help your neighbor out or you can help, a, you know, a struggling restaurant that's still trying to do takeout. And it was that sort of aspect of that community that really intrigued me about this whole effort and how it really did bring everybody together in the state and even, I think, beyond the state to some degree. Yeah. And I think there's a lot we learn from this that we're going to carry forward. I hope so anyway, in, in that respect. And um, yeah, even supporting the restaurants. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've I don't know, kebab and curry, for example, over on, on their street, you know, we go there, you know, once a month, twice a month or something like that. But then all of a sudden when you're adding that support component to it and you realize, oh, we, this, there's a community element. Yeah, it's a business and we get it. But if you want to keep that business alive, there is something you can do, which is maybe go there once a week and get takeout and, and have lunch there, tell people about it. Maybe that, is something that will actually help us improve our state in a way we've been looking for all these ideas. We bring in all these uh, speakers and concepts and how are we going to generate activity economically here in Rhode Island? Well, maybe people just caring about each other. It sounds cheesy. It sounds like something you'd hear on Sesame street, but I think it probably would work. I completely yeah. agree. Yep. Yeah. I think I mean, all of your business, you want all of your favorite places to be there on the other side of this. And yeah. it wasn't a certain thing for everybody. It wasn't something that you, you know, like you said, the restaurants or the shops, like a, like frog and toad, for example, I want them to be there when this is all over. And you don't want the people that you care about to, uh, you know, to, to have to suffer any more than they're suffering. Yeah, completely. And I, I, I'd add to that. I think that we saw that, um, you know, one of our deficits is kind of our biggest strength too. Like the fact that Rhode Island is so small is obviously something that's part of our DNA that we joke about. But um, because of our size, I feel like we are very well networked. I don't have a lot of comparison because I've spent the entirety of my professional life in this state, but I feel like the the network of, of businesses and organizations and nonprofits and all of that here is, is so relatively tight that it's almost like you we're capable of anything um, because the scale is so small. And so good ideas can really flourish here uh, more easily than they can uh, in other places. Um, it, it, 
we often talk about that Noah guy culture being a negative, but there is something to be said for the fact that I could grab anybody on the street and it's like two degrees of separation to the governor with them probably. Right. I mean, Rhode Island is tiny. And um, if you do want to get something done, it's, it's relatively easy. Definitely. Definitely agree with that. Uh, Certainly as compared with geographically large states or places like New York or Los Angeles. I mean, forget about it. You know, the opportunities here are, they're different. There's still challenges, but it's, but it is, you have access that's, that's unlike anything else. All right. So where can people view this film and how can they support this campaign going forward? So we, uh, we have it hosted on YouTube. Uh, there's a frog and toad channel that, uh, the, the full feature is uh, is hosted on. It's also available on our our website, uh, frogandtoadstore.com. Uh, Mike, do you have it posted up anywhere else? Um, I have it on Vimeo through uh, MB Studio. Has a channel, MB Studio. Um, yeah, on Vimeo, it's there as well. Yep. And I think you know, if people were to have a takeaway from this, it would be that you know the there's still a lot of need for uh for the the Rhode Island nonprofit sector. I mean, the the pandemic tapped everything. Let's just be honest. And we're going to be facing economic deficits in terms of of need uh locally for years and years to come. So I think that any takeaway that your listeners would have would be that uh continuing to uh consider financially supporting the Rhode Island Foundation's COVID-19 response fund or other nonprofits that we vetted and featured in the film, um, that need's not going to go away anytime soon. And um, to, speaking to your point about looking out for one other bill, I think that's um, that's a big piece of this. Is that's, that's also like one of the biggest reasons why I feel like Mike and I saw value to this project is trying to elevate other people that, that need the attention. Asher, Mike, thanks so much for for, for being on the show, but then more than anything, thanks for creating this campaign, documenting it and serving the state during this period. Because I mean, like I said, let's face it, this is the kind of stuff that kept us from a morale standpoint and arguably from a pandemic standpoint moving forward. So much appreciated. Yeah, you know, thank you so much for uh, having us on. Thank you so much for all that you do. I think uh, your work here in the state is excellent. And uh, I am a loyal uh, listener myself. So thank you for, for everything you bring. I appreciate that a lot. Thanks. Thanks, Bill. Rhode Island's podcast of record, B-Town.